Hi and welcome to Emerging Markets Today. My name is Ana Paula Picasso and this episode will be about the healthcare sector in emerging markets. We're going to talk about opportunities and challenges and everything between. To talk about that, I'm here with Silvana Sinha. She's the founder and CEO of Prava Health, a leading healthcare company focused on improving health outcomes and patient journeys in emerging markets. And they're headquartered in Bangladesh. Hi, Silvana. Welcome to Emerging Markets today. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Welcome, welcome. But uh, are you in Bangladesh right now or no? No, yes, I am. Ah, nice. Very nice. Just recently I had one episode about India and I'm really looking forward to learn about Bangladesh, but not just Bangladesh. Oh, I think all emerging markets, even in Brazil, because I'm from Brazil, we have all the same challenges, especially in the healthcare sector, isn't it, Silvana? Well, there, I, definitely there are a lot of challenges in healthcare and emerging markets. Absolutely. the cha- But I do think um, the challenges vary from country to country. Competition and regulation varies dramatically. But we are all resource constrained. And also in countries like Brazil and Bangladesh and India, right, we have these fast growing economies and all of a sudden we have a big middle class and they no longer want to access the public health care system. So it creates a different kind of burden on the private system. So those challenges are very similar, I think, across many emerging markets. Yeah, exactly. I totally agree with what you, you said about the growing middle class. And so how is the healthcare sector in Bangladesh? So the healthcare sector is um, unlike most of the rest of the world, but like a lot of emerging markets, um, we do have um, most of the healthcare spending is coming from the private so India, I think, is about 66% of the um, health sector spending comes from out-of-pocket expenditures. In India, it's more than 72%. Um, and so, you know, it's a it's a very large population of people who are accessing healthcare for the first time through the private system, um, which is very different um, than countries, many other countries, I would say. Um, and so we have a big difference though between the health sector in a country like India and Bangladesh is Bangladesh is a population of 170 million people in a tiny landmass. And so nobody's actually more than five hours away from the capital city. Um, and so you do have people who are coming into the city or not from the capital city, but from any city, right? And so you do have people who are traveling into the cities in the thousands every day to access better healthcare. Um, in a country like India, you have very, very rural and isolated places that are 20 hours away from the closest city. So um, it, that that creates a different different set of challenges and opportunities. Yeah, 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 definitely. I I can imagine like India being more like Brazil, like in some places is like three days away for the nearest hospital. So you you mentioned the private sector, some opportunities. So when I always like to say it's not an investment advice. We're just talking about in general and more in an educational way. But what are the opportunities for um, the private healthcare companies like, for instance, Prava Health or any other companies that are providing healthcare services in Bangladesh? So the need is tremendous. You know, I think we have... um... The health sector is around $10 billion, and it's growing at 10% caper every year. What we project is that healthcare spending per capita will 5x by 2040. 
So the, um, you know, as you see across all emerging markets, really, right, as people have more disposable income, they're disproportionately interested in spending money on healthcare and education. All of us want to improve our lives. They want to, we want to improve the lives of our loved ones and of the next generation. And so healthcare and education are the two areas where we are often really willing to invest. And um, so that is what's driving a lot of the growth of the health sector. We are seeing GDP per capita has been growing and GDP has been growing consistently in Bangladesh at 6 to 8%. Um, GDP per capita has exceeded India's now several years in a row. And um, so, you know, that growth, yeah, a lot of people don't realize that actually. So it's a yeah. I know. I knew the Bangladesh is is like a quiet contender and it's been really growing, but I didn't know it. It took over India on GDP per capita. Yeah, quite quite a big accomplishment, I would say, for a country that was called a basket case by Henry Kissinger some fifty years ago. Um, so we're very proud of that fact, actually. I so said the economy is doing very well, but. As the economy has grown very quickly, it's challenging for the health sector to keep up with the excess demand in the market for private health care. And um, as there is so much excess demand and, um, you know, the government also is challenged to maintain quality and to have standards across the sector. Um, so we do see that because of the kind of challenges in accessing quality health care in the country due to all of this excess demand, you have every day thousands of Bangladeshis and every year billions of dollars to access healthcare abroad. And so these are this, these are dollars and people that leave the country to access healthcare abroad. And so um, for me as an entrepreneur, I saw that as an opportunity to create a healthcare solution within Bangladesh that is high quality and affordable for the middle class of Bangladesh, um, which I believe deserves to have access to high quality healthcare within their own boundaries without having um, to travel internationally. So definitely there are a lot of opportunities in that sense. But um, now, what about the challenges, Silvana? Because we talk about everything that, you know, the, the growing middle class and the opportunities for the private sector. But is there like a main challenge for the healthcare sector? Or there are many, I know there are probably many challenges, but if you have to pick, let's say, one or two, what would that be? I think that um, establishing quality standards and maintaining them is one of the biggest challenges in the country. What we see across low and middle income countries, including Bangladesh, um, is that more people are dying due to lack of access to quality health care than lack of access alone. There's a lot that we hear people talking about when it comes to the access problem, but it's actually not just access, it's access to quality healthcare. When you say quality healthcare, what do you mean by that? So for me, it, a lot of it starts with quality diagnostic testing. So for example, Bangladesh, a country of 170 million people, has only, at this moment, six international standard labs for a country of 170 million people. On a per capita basis, India has 55 times that level of international standard labs. And the United States has 3,400 times that level of international standard labs. So when you don't have quality lab testing, what that means is a lot of people are getting their blood work done at mom and pop diagnostic centers that are set up on down the street that are not necessarily running their samples properly. And then they're getting um, an inaccurate result. So if doctors can't rely on the quality of the testing, 
then they're very likely to misdiagnose patients, right? And then the doctors get a bad rep for misdiagnosing patients, but it's not their fault if they can't rely on the quality of the testing. Um, so that's like, for me, one of the biggest challenges. We also have a huge issue in terms of counterfeit drugs in the market. Um, there is a, less than 100 million. Yeah, more than 20% of drugs in the market are actually counterfeit. Um, there are 200,000 some pharmacies in this country. Only about 600 of them are considered model pharmacies, which means that they source directly from manufacturers to eliminate the risk of counterfeit drugs, which means that there's a grade A pharmacist on site at all times. And the other thing is that, um, you know, the doctors are spending an average of 48 seconds with each patient. There is a gap in terms of um, amount of time doctors are being able to spend with patients. Um, the British Medical Journal did a, did a study a few years ago and came to that finding. So if a doctor is only seeing you for less than a minute, how much data can they gather to really give you an accurate diagnosis? So these are some of the examples of the quality gap. There's also very little use of technology in healthcare in Bangladesh. Most patients are carrying their medical records around in bags and suitcases. Um, there's uh, starting to be more digital health infrastructure in this country. Brava brought Bangladesh its first fully integrated hospital information system, featuring the first patient app in the country. Um, and the government has come out and announced and requested new facilities to opt in for fire-based interoperable technology so that we can also easily share medical records between healthcare systems. But very little data today is actually digital. So that's definitely a big challenge. But for me, it also creates an opportunity because then if you can exist, it can create a structure for the use of healthcare data that's interoperable and also improves patient outcomes, then you can have a huge impact. If you look at the healthcare date, like the digital infrastructure in healthcare in the United States, it exists for billing purposes. It doesn't necessarily exist um, you know, to help improve patient outcomes. And so um, people are now using it creatively to do that, but the system itself, the basic infrastructure was built that way. Whereas because we don't have that, you know, these dinosaur systems that were built in these ways, we have the opportunity to build from scratch systems that actually exist to create better patient outcomes. Yeah, yeah. I think this digitalization is a real challenge there, isn't it? And uh, what brings me to my next question about how the idea of Prava Health came about, looking at all these challenges and, and everything else. Sure. So I was born and raised in the United States. Um, I, um, my family is originally from Bangladesh, but I moved here for the first time to start the company after a really jarring experience with my mother, where she was hospitalized for a basic appendectomy, um, about 10 years ago. And we were very lucky in our family. We had access to the best care in the country. We were in the VIP suite of a fancy private hospital. But despite that, the surgery was delayed and, um, we ended up you know, then having to airlift her to Bangkok first. Uh, and she had a lot of complications. So we airlifted her to Bangkok and she had a second surgery. And then a year later, a third surgery due to complications from the original procedure. And it just really struck. Yeah, she's doing better now. Thank you for your, uh, for your concern. Fortunately, she's doing better. But I realized, you know, not everyone can afford to airlift their mother to Bangkok. And you shouldn't have to do that either, right? And so um, despite the tremendous progress the Bangladeshi economy had seen, I observed that no amount of money could really afford you access to high-quality healthcare. 
And that was the original reason and inspiration behind my starting Brava Health. Very specifically, I was really attracted to the concept of primary care and the concept of outpatient health care, really keeping people out of the hospital and healthy instead of driving them into the hospital system, which there are a lot of incentives that drive people into hospitals in this country and across emerging markets. And so our model is really an outpatient model, really grounded in international standards and quality health care, incorporating primary care, secondary care, lab and imaging diagnostics that are set up according to international standards, and pharmacy, which is also, um, you know, really only sourcing from manufacturers so we can eliminate the risk of counterfeit drugs. We are one of the 600 model pharmacies in the country. And so, and then we brought in the technology, we layered the infrastructure with the technology, um, as opposed to just starting with the technology on day one, which many companies, you know, have, have gone down that path. But for me, I really wanted to make sure we could address this quality gap. And that meant we had to build the infrastructure on day one. So what are the, you, you mentioned about outpatient care, I think is it's been really, um, you know, I can't help talk about the COVID-19 pandemic we had in the last two, three years. And I see there was a kind of a boom of telemedicine, you know, online, virtual consultations. So I've seen that you guys, I've seen your website, you provide in-person and also online consultations. So how is the outpatient online uh, services going for you? It's going well. Has it been growing the last few years? Absolutely. We've been serving patients for five years. We had an official launch of the company in February of 2018. And to date, we've served nearly half a million patients to date. We've been growing very quickly, um, both in terms of the in-clinic services as well as the remote and virtual care. So I would say it was very challenging to be a healthcare company on the front lines of the pandemic during uh, this huge public health crisis that we all lived through. But also it gave us an opportunity to really step up and serve the community, I think, during the time of need. And it helped us, um, I think, to earn the trust of our patients. Yeah, definitely with tough times. And talking about tough times, Silvana, you know, you were the founder and not just for healthcare startups, but for any startups. It's very hard to find funding. So how is your funding journey? So it's been very challenging. <laughs> We've raised eight, uh, $15 million in um, from angel investors. We have no institutional capital on our cap table. And this is after we've achieved... So no VCs? No VC. No VCs, just angels. Just angels. And it's not for lack of trying. There are no institutional investors who are looking and investing in my segment in emerging markets, which I believe is a market failure. I mean, this is after we have, we've, we've spoiled the business very quickly. We've reached operating break even in 10 months. Um, and uh, we have been the subject of many case studies. Um, Harvard Business School published a case study on us, Columbia Business School. And we're pointed to as a model for healthcare in emerging markets. And um, yet there is no institutional capital that is focused on this segment, which I, I think is a real challenge for all of us who are trying to create change in these markets and are trying to, you know, have impact by serving patients with high quality health care. Why do you think there is no VC interest in this sector in emerging markets? Well, that's a big question. Um, how much time do we have? <laughs> um, <laughs> how much time do you need? <laughs> so first of all, I think emerging markets in and of themselves as an asset class 
um, are a different, create a different set of challenges and opportunities um, than, you know, Silicon Valley. Um, and I think that, you know, building a company and building a consumer brand in an emerging market, for example, it made, it takes longer. Um, and so the traditional three to five year exit path that, um, you know, investors may want to see is not going to be the case in an emerging market. I also think that healthcare is complicated. I think even in the United States, a lot of VCs, um, don't necessarily, you know, have a full grasp of the challenges of healthcare. It takes time to create systemic change, even in advanced economies. I look at the journey of businesses like One Medical um, that have been around for 20 years before exiting to Amazon. You know, um, it takes time to create that kind of change. Um, but in emerging markets, it's even more challenging. And the fact is, 80% of venture dollars are going to companies headquartered in New York, Massachusetts, and California. So, you know, that in and of itself means that leads 20% for the rest of the world. And that includes Atlanta and Detroit. So forget about Bangladesh all the way on the other side of the world, right? Um, and so I think a lot of venture capital um, has grown up in communities in which it is familiar, where venture capitalists live and work, and they're investing in the types of products that they themselves want to consume. So, so thinking about the healthcare opportunity all the way across the world is, is, is challenging for them. I also think that the VCs in the region are very focused on asset light models. They're focused on, they'd rather invest in a single digit margin telemedicine business with very little differentiation from the next telemedicine business than a business like mine that's innovating and has 60% gross margins simply because they're not comfortable with or familiar with the infrastructure side of the opportunity. And so I just think that capital markets are inefficient and underdeveloped in these, in these countries. And so, you know, in that respect, um, we have to be patient. We have to prove these opportunities exist um, and can be scaled. And I believe eventually the money will come. But unfortunately, it takes time. And Bangladesh particularly, I think, um, really suffers. It falls between the cracks. It's not Indopak. It's not Southeast Asia. Um, you know, and so a lot of people don't understand that it's a huge economy. Like you said, you weren't aware that GDP per capita has exceeded India's, right? A lot of it is just awareness building. And when I pitch to investors, I find half of my pitch is educating the investor on the market opportunity itself. Yeah. I uh, Well, because of, <laughs> I think most people don't know, I even me, they have been reading about emerging markets almost all day, every day. It's still uh, Bangladesh is not a country that is talked so much. But um, talking about, it's still talking about your journey, Silvana. How do you see... Uh, Prava Health involving in the next few years? Are you still looking for funding? How is how do you see things developing? We are we're I mean we're we're growing with or without money. We're growing organically at a very steady pace. Um, as I mentioned, we've served nearly half a million patients to date as of this recording at the end of March. And um, I would like to build the best healthcare company in Bangladesh, and then I'd like to scale it across emerging markets. I believe this model can work in other countries that are at similar stages of development, although it would need to be catered to the particular needs of that population, because I think that's really important when it comes to healthcare. Um, but I do think that there are aspects of our model that can be scaled across emerging markets. So we definitely have big dreams for what we want to achieve, and those dreams do require capital. So we are fundraising. So yeah, if anyone wants to know more about Prava Health, and have a chat with Silvana. I'll put all the links in the show notes. And is there anything else you'd like to 
talk about to Vernon? I haven't asked you any plugs, any. Yeah, there is one point thing I want to mention because this is an emerging markets podcast. Um, you know, there's a lot that's said about the lack of venture capital that goes to women founded businesses in the United States. I think it's less than 2% and it's gone down in the recent years. Um, that challenge is worse in emerging markets. And um, I will tell you that, um, you know, women lack access to capital at every level. I think there's a lot of micro money in emerging markets for women. But once even those micro get to the scale, there's really nobody there to help them to scale those businesses. And one big difference in emerging markets compared to more advanced economies is in a lot of our countries, we are not able to access capital unless our husband or our father signs off on the loan. Even me, being an American woman living in this country, I had to have my dad sign off on my the debt that I got from my company. And, um, you know, that's not always an option for certain women in, in their families, you know. And so we have to look at this problem. And, you know, we talk a lot about the need for women to have more access to capital. I think that problem is worse in emerging markets and we need to talk more about it. If we need women to access power in this world, then we need women to build their wealth. And there's no way for them to do that. They don't need to help them scale their businesses. So that's the last plug I'll make. Um, but thank you for the opportunity. I, I do I do believe we need to draw more attention to this issue. Yeah, we definitely need to do that. And yeah, and I'm really happy to have you on the podcast and talk about that because I had people before coming. I always talk to founders, but I think for women, it's slightly different, especially women in emerging markets as well. And um yeah, so thank you, Sylvan. I think it was a very insightful conversation about the healthcare sector, about Bangladesh, especially Bangladesh. And um, yeah, and if anyone wants to get in touch with Silvana, just head to the show notes. I'll put all the links in the description. Thank you, Silvana. Thank you so much for having me. Come visit us in Dhaka. Yeah, I'd love to. <laughs> love to have you. It's a really exciting someone who's so passionate about emerging markets.